We are taught again today by St. John the Evangelist. This whole time of Easter, I have said, is uh, very fittingly, I think, an Easter sojourn with St. John the Evangelist, also known historically as St. John the Theologian, because his gospel, as authoritative, of course, as the gospels according to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the, jo- the gospel according to St. John has a more theological aspect to it. And so St. John is known not only as the evangelist, but St. John the theologian. His teaching to us today continues and in some sense repeats what we have heard from the beginning of our Easter season, which is this, that God has given us eternal life. And John adds, this life is in his Son. That eternal life has been given to us and that this eternal life is in his Son is also what St. Paul teaches when he refers, it's to what St. Paul is referring to when Paul speaks of seeing God face to face that we see him dimly now in this life, but that are the goal of the race, the end, our, indeed our, our true end, is unity with God, seeing him face to face. This is also, from seeing it from a different perspective, John's teaching, it's also described in these three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in the transfiguration of Jesus, when the three disciples on the mountain with Jesus heard the voice of the Father, were overshadowed by the Holy Ghost, and next to Jesus, of course, was Moses and Elijah. The three holy disciples saw Jesus transfigured, which is a heavenly vision of the true reality and identity of Jesus. Jesus both fully man and fully God. Or to put it another way, Jesus, the Son of God, completely within our conditions of time and space and at the same time completely beyond and outside time and space conditions. All of these are three ways of thinking about it are pointing to the same thing taught by John that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And another way to think about all of this is to remember that Jesus in St. John's Gospel account so often speaks of himself using the phrase, I am. I am the vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says in John's Gospel, I am the bread of life, and so on. There's, there's over 14 of these moments in John's Gospel where Jesus begins a teaching by saying, I am. 
And in Scripture, God also is recorded to have spoken the same way. Most perhaps memorably, when Moses learned at the burning bush what God's name is. At the burning bush, Moses was told that God's name is I am whom I am. The gift of eternal life through Christ, spoken of by St. John, the goal of which is to behold God, not dimly, but face to face, transfigured along with him, our own being taken up within God's transfigured self. The vision of God is a participation in his I amness. A partition, a participation, excuse me, that begins really and truly and actually in this life through the sacraments liturgically celebrated, begins in this life through the sacraments and continues into the next phase of our existence, whereby we are invited to continually grow in God's love and service. Of course, I'm referring to after the course of our earthly days end. Each Eucharist we celebrate is like another rung up the ladder of divine ascent. Another step up into and towards the divine reality in the community with the triune God. Each Eucharist that we receive allows us to become more of what we receive. Each Eucharist that we receive allows us to become what we receive more and more. That we can say with St. Paul, our patron, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And then Paul adds, not I, but Christ lives in me. Well, all of that is a profound mystery. And if you want to say anything about John's writings, it's that it's, it, you just get drunk with mystery, inebriated with the profundity of it all. This is the mystery, though, that the upper room church of 120 souls began to live into as they prayed with one accord in the sacred space, the upper room. Jesus appointed them to after his glorious ascension. We are told by St. Luke that the 120 souls of the upper room church prayed together with one accord, meaning with one heart, with one central purpose, with one liturgy, we can presume. And we are told that they were full of joy together in the upper room, which is a biblical way also of saying that as they were together in the upper room for those nine days between Ascension and Pentecost, they were full of joy, they were full of grace. For they all had taken on the heart, began to take on the heart 
of God's mother began to take on the heart of Mary and began to make her heart their heart, which is what we do in our Christian life. Take on more and more of the heart of Mary. For Our Lady, Blessed Mary, was with the church in the upper room, Luke tells us. And as the 119 others began to share in the joyful recognition that Jesus is their light, that Jesus is their salvation, and that the I amness of Jesus, his presence, is with them in the upper room, with them wherever two or three are gathered in his name with them in their heart whenever they call upon his most holy name asking for mercy with them in holy communion with them through scripture and through the preaching of their brother and sister apostles preeminently the teaching of the twelve men as they began to share and participate in this real and actual mystery together in the joyful knowledge that Jesus is the way and is the truth and is the life. Every word of Mary, who is named by the church as the bearer of God, or in Greek, the Theotokos, every word that she shared about her son, especially the profound profoundly mysterious moments early in his life. All the way back, of course, I'm referring to the Annunciation that she would have told them about. And her subsequent visitation in haste to her cousin Elizabeth. And of course, the events surrounding the Nativity of Jesus, Mary would have shared. The presentation of 40-day-old Jesus in the temple with Simeon and Anna. And 12 years later, the losing but then finding again of Jesus in the temple. All these moments, and probably more, that Mary would have then shared with the 119 other souls in the upper room had transfiguring power. Because, of course, they were about Christ and helping them to understand who he was, how he was not just a man, but that he was God. Because how could they understand all this? Or begin to anyway? It's because the disciples in the upper room had experienced, not been told about, but experienced his blessed passion and precious death. Had experienced and not just been told about his mighty resurrection and his glorious ascension. And so the key for them to eternal life is also the key for us to eternal life. The key is this, having in daily remembrance the Paschal mystery of Christ. Paschal meaning his Passover from life to death to eternal life for us. Having in daily remembrance the Paschal mystery of Christ is the key to eternal life then, 2,000 years ago, and is the key now.
But not just having a daily remembrance of it, but ordering our lives around the Paschal mystery of Christ. Indeed, ordering our every day around Jesus, around his most holy name, ordering our life. For this is how the church renders unto Jesus most hearty thanks for the innumerable benefits procured unto us by him. This is an unfathomable mystery. And the unfathomable recognition of this mystery, indeed the true mystery of Christ, which reaches far beyond the human language to describe, is summarized by our Lord's words in our Gospel account today. John records Jesus saying to his Father, words to our Father, For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. For us, never forget this, for us, Jesus showed himself holy. Why? So that we might become holy through him. All of what he revealed to the world, what's captured in the four gospel accounts and what isn't, all of what he revealed to the world during his three or four decades of human life was and is and ever shall be for our sakes. For us. Not for him. He didn't need it. He's God. Everything he did is for us. Why? That we might be transformed. Our hearts illumined and on fire with true knowledge of Christ's presence everywhere and in all places. And what can be more inspiring than that recognition? Christ's presence is everywhere and in all places. That as St. Paul, our patron, taught the church in his first letter to them in Thessalonica, that knowing Christ and what he's done for us and knowing his presence, we may rejoice evermore, that we may pray without ceasing, which is biblical speak for praying very often, and that in everything we give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us, that knowing him and his presence, his I amness, and knowing that as we know him now, we will know him face to face if we are steadfast in the faith, that we may rejoice now and evermore, and pray now and without ceasing, and in everything give thanks.